This week on the Byword, Chris and I decide that we are the perfect people to critique women's clothing. What superhero costumes do we believe need to be fixed, and what are our fixes? The Byword starts now. Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome to a brand new episode of the Nerd by Word podcast, the only podcast with the fashion sense to critique superhero clothing. I'm Dave, I'm here with my buddy Chris, and we are ready to fix some superhero costumes. But before we do that, it's of course time for... Nerd News! Chris? Workers Unite? Yeah, it looks as though the um, workers of Image Comics have unionized. Uh, and Image has stated that they will not voluntarily recognize Comic Book Workers United, which was formed by staffers earlier this week. This is a first for major comics publishers, this union. Um, it's kind of ironic that Image Comics, which was founded in 92 by Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee... Um, as kind of a branching off from the big two publishers to kind of get a creative liberty and ownership rights of characters created and all this and young and wild and free would then turn around and not support their own workers in this unionization. So this has been going to be a, an interesting thing to continue to develop. Um, so of course, over the years with, with titles like Spawn, Invincible and Saga, Image has been, of, of the independent pub publishers, probably one of the biggest names and the most mainstream, uh, you know, rivaling, you know, Marvel and DC. Um, in a statement on its website, Comic Book Workers United says that um, it was the spirit of the founders of Image that inspired them to unionize. Um, quote, their dreams of self-determination and more equitable treatment in the industry they loved and helped make successful are also our dreams end quote. Um, so I wholeheartedly support this union. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see the ripple effect, um, you know, onto the big two and the comic book industry at large. Dave, what are you thinking? I'm thinking that we have documented many a time on the byword how the indie scene can be extremely hard on comic book artists and writers um, and how often they get shortchanged, uh, really incredibly low page rates, uh, non-livable wages, poor treatment, getting cut out of the loop, losing rights to things that they created. All of that stuff is a major problem. And I'll go ahead and branch out and say that there have been efforts um, in the video game industry as well to try to get some kind of union going. And I wholeheartedly support that in both industries. I think, um, particularly in something like the comic book industry, uh, in the absence of some kind of protection for all of these artists and writers, there have been a lot of entities over the years that uh, purport to be small press publishers that do e extremely questionable things, have extremely questionable contracts, and just generally treat 
uh, the people that create our comic books extremely poorly. So anything that can be done to give them uh, even an iota of protection, uh, fair wages, peace of mind, all of those things are incredibly important. I, I want these people that create the entertainment I love so very much to be well taken care of so they continue to create the things we all love. So I'm all for this. I'm all about it. And I think uh, Image needs to get over themselves and to recognize this union. Yeah, absolutely. I immediately, when I saw this come across my timeline, I immediately thought of our, our uh, discussion um, with Jared Lujan and the, and the situation he finds himself in, even still with... with um, action lab and and all of that and i i could not be behind this more um if you like us would like to support this uh go to the website cbwupdx.com or find them easily on uh twitter as well at cbwupdx and we'll post that in our show notes as well uh dave you are heading uh to the video game industry with your news story this week yeah, so Activision Blizzard has been in a bit of a, how shall I say, a poop storm over the last few months uh, regarding a whole bunch of incredibly questionable things that have been happening at the company behind the scenes in regards to, uh, uh, you, know, you know, tasteless behavior, sexual harassment, and just the list goes on and on, really having sort of a, a boys club mentality. And so there's been, uh, you know, some restructuring taking place. And back in August, um, what they did in order to kind of deflect some of these uh, news stories that were coming out about Activision Blizzard behind the scenes, uh, they got two people to uh, take over the company. Um, and that was Jen O'Neill and Mike Abara. And at this point, you would then have a male and a female kind of co-leading the company, which uh, was a way to kind of deflect, again, some of the sexual harassment stuff that was coming out. Well, lo and behold, Jen O'Neill, uh, the lady in this equation, is stepping down by the end of the year, leaving once again only a male in charge of the company, Mike Abara. So that is um, already kind of dumping uh, what they've been trying to do in in changing the atmosphere at the company by having a woman in the co-lead. On top of that, uh, in a recent investors phone call, Activision Blizzard told investors that their two biggest in-development video games, Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4, are both being delayed likely into 2023. Uh, both of those games, I believe, were initially announced back in 2019, uh, so that is a extremely uh, long wait for fans of those series. It seems to me that uh, Blizzard is in a bit of trouble here. There's a, a lot of you know creative talent has been leaving the company over the last few years. You know, not the least of which was Jeff Kaplan, the guy who was the director of the original uh, Overwatch. But they've been really they've been bleeding talent uh, basically for a little while. So now we're seeing the fallout of that with games getting delayed that are really high profile uh, games that were expected to be, you know, big earners once they release. So, you know, given everything that's come out about what's been going on behind the scenes um, and, and now, you know, these video games getting delayed and, you know, the first female in charge uh, stepping down by the end of the year. I think Blizzard might be uh, in some serious trouble, Chris. Yeah, this is wild. And again, um, 
like I stated when I when we talked about um, Activision Blizzard uh, a couple weeks ago, like this is not like a realm of games or uh, that I'm particularly comfortable with like i've not played any of these games but just on from the sidelines judging this it's it's not a great look so i i'm not i'm not overly um excited by any of this um and it it is really a bad look and i i would be curious to see like any reasoning behind why she is leaving the company so um, hopefully it is not any more of the same and hopefully there's been a true paradigm shift because if, if anything were to come of that and, um, it would just be more gasoline on this fire. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, uh, you know, I've not made any secret out of the fact that I was a, a big, a big fan and a, a big player of the game Overwatch. It was for uh, a couple of years. They're probably my most played game. Um, not big into online competitive games, but this one really captivated me. Blizzard can do incredible, uh, incredible work. However, they need to clean up that toxic work environment. They need to make sure that uh, developers feel comfortable there. Um, and ultimately, they need to get some of these creative folks to come in and, and maybe ride the ship a little bit. All righty, folks, that's it for Nerd News. Stick around. After the break, we are going to redesign some superhero suits. I can't wait to hear what Chris has to say. Stick around. All right, welcome back. The time has come for your favorite segment, my favorite segment. Probably not Chris's favorite segment. I think he prefers nerd commendations, but it is time for... And here we are. Chris and I have decided in this episode we are going to talk about some superhero suits. Uh, specifically, we want to go ahead and try to fix some costumes that we think are problematic for one reason or another. Now, obviously, uh, we are going to be talking uh, about both male and female superhero suits. And when we're talking costumes, we are fully aware that we're just a couple of dudes uh, talking about ladies' fashion in some of these cases. But given that a lot of these costumes were designed by male artists, I do believe we have at least something to add. So Chris and I both have chosen three superhero costumes that we believe could use some fixing, as well as one costume that we call the untouchable that should never, ever, ever be redesigned. Chris, let's start out with you. What is your first superhero suit that needs to be redesigned and how would you fix it? If you fix your ears, uh, pun intended, uh, you might hear the collective groan that is all of X Twitter with regards to uh, Jean Grey's current costumes in the comics. Uh, for those of you who may not know, Jean Grey is now going by the original moniker Marvel Girl that she uh, took in the 60s in its original run and is also taking on the costume of the early 60s. Um, so it is it is a very, very much maligned costume. It is it's known as the green dress um with complete with um uh, a very retro mask that is wolverine-esque uh with the pointy ears if you will and then 
um, the high go-go boots. And then the, the piece de resistance for me is these, um, these yellow gloves, these very long yellow gloves that, um, if, if you pull it up, it looks, it looks like she just got done washing dishes or maybe scrubbing toilets. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't get that image out of my head. They look like cleaning gloves. Like, um, now she has taken, she is currently in the X-Men roster, but, um, you know, in a lot of, you know, kind of slice of life images from Krakoa and these books since the 18 soft reboot, she's been um, kind of re- not reduced, but like relegated to this maternal role on Krakoa or on the moon, I should say, in the, the summer's house. And so I guess it fits, but um, the girls are not happy about this one. So this was this is one for you, X Twitter. Uh, the green dress has to go. Okay, so how would you fix it? What 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 do you think needs to be done with it? Uh, to be honest, the only look for me that's ever really stood out for Jean Grey is the Phoenix suit, um, whether it is the green or the white. I'm a big fan of those. Um, no other look for her has really ever worked. Maybe the X Men red one. It was okay, but like that weird. Um, tan one from the the animated series with that wrestling headgear uh was never really a huge fan of didn't really work for me so maybe i don't know i i'm maybe we don't want to connect her to the phoenix per se but like something along those lines of like a bodysuit um the mask just looks ridiculous and then the cleaning gloves have to go so I've actually kind of pulled up the suit because you know I'm not a, a, a huge regular X-Men reader right now. And I have to freely admit that uh, you know, fighting in a skirt always has seemed a little questionable to me. Something I think uh, we'll revisit uh later in this episode. Um so yeah, you know, I, I can see where you're coming from. I think the mask, the Wolverineish mask is kind of a little neat, but I will totally echo what you're saying about the about the cleaning gloves. And I don't think the dress is a very good look. Um, I seem to recall her having, you know, much cooler Jim Lee uh, inspired uh, design in like the X-Men animated series that I thought looked significantly cooler than something like this as nineties as it may be. So yeah, I can totally see why this uh, might be a controversial look for the character. All right, Dave. So uh, let's take a window look into your first look. You know, it's hilarious to me that you're not a regular reader of DC Comics, but you immediately knew what I was uh, driving at when I listed this character. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Power Girl, which is a controversial thing to say. Uh, it comes with a lot of um, a lot of connotations, I guess. Uh, a lot of assumptions are made about people who say that they are fans of Power Girl. Uh, mostly because Power Girl, predominantly at least, you know, in the mainstream and pe- with people that aren't super familiar with the character, uh, know Power Girl really for two things. And that is number one, um, her very large breasts. And number two, the fact that her suit features the much maligned and often discussed boob window, a cutout hole that reveals her cleavage. Now, a little bit of background. Um, Power Girl is a uh, basically a grown-up Supergirl, uh, so Superman's cousin from a parallel Earth, from Earth 2, who after that Earth 
uh, ceased being after Crisis of Infinite Earths, uh, got a chance to basically transfer over into the mainline DC continuity, the main DC Earth. And they couldn't really always quite figure out what to do with her, so her status constantly shifts. They try to retcon her a few times to you know, get her away from being related to Superman. Then they went ahead and went back to that. Um, and through all of that, she has remained actually a really neat character with a very cool personality. Her alter ego, uh, Karen Starr, most recently has been sort of the CEO of her own tech company. Um, there was a time period where she was essentially dating uh, Mr. Terrific, an absolutely fantastic character. She has a very, very cool attitude. Um, she's very um, you know, clever and funny uh, and witty as she fights villains. She reminds me in some respects a little bit personality-wise of like what the current run of Captain Marvel is doing with Carol Danvers. Yet for some reason, although Carol Danvers got the chance to divorce herself from her um, probably most revealing outfit and get something a little more uh, form factor, something that fits the kind of character that she is, for some reason we have not achieved that with Power Girl. She continues to run around with this big hole in her outfit. Um, and because of that and the continued issue where... Um, artists like to draw her breasts as large as possible um we end up with a situation where a great character is literally being overshadowed by her own breasts and i find that incredibly sad so my fix to this problem is very simple it's time to close the boob window even if we don't put a symbol or anything there, her outfit as it is is actually very, very cool. So that one-piece white suit with the cape draped over her, you know, the gloves, the whole thing. I absolutely love the, the outfit. She's visually distinctive. However, I think it's just simply time to close the boob window, and that is my fix. We'll put a patch on there, and maybe for once the character can shine not because of her physical proportions, but because she is a very interesting, often well-written character. Yeah, so it's really wild that it's it's so gratuitous and it is so, like, it's so blatant, I think is the word that I'm looking for. It's like, you know, when you crop an image to focus on something, it's like they're cropping the image just to focus on the cleavage. And it's just gross. It's just gross. I mean, the fact that you have this overarching like neck piece to the costume that covers her neck up, but then we've got to leave a window, a window for the cleavage. It's just, it's just gross. So, I mean, like I, I'm, I'm totally right there with you. Like, the idea of having a white costume and not just the red and the blue makes her stand out from the rest of the super family, um, makes her iconic and all of that. But like, just do something with that. Like even open up the neck piece. So you're not focusing like tractor beam right in on it. It's got so gross and so scuzzy and just, yeah, let's fix that, please. I'm so glad you agree with me on this. Uh, just, I really want to recommend some some series of Power Girl too. Maybe that's something we can do as a homework assignment. There's a very, very cool 12-issue run that would fit nicely into a homework assignment. But she is such a neat character, and I am very, getting very, very tired of the strange looks I will occasionally get just because I say that I like this character. 
uh, there, there is no reason for this character to basically have become uh, a pinup girl uh, for all intents and purposes, rather than this incredibly neat character that she is. All right, Chris, I think we are sticking in the X-Men universe for your next costume fix suggestion. Yeah, so I think there's a common thread with our picks, and I think we have a shared distaste for the over-sexualization of female characters. And my next pick is one of my favorite characters in the X-Men universe, and that is Psylocke, better known as Kanon. I'm not talking about Betsy Braddock. Sorry, Betsy, not you. Girl, bye. But um, I do love Kanon, and um, just... She's been in this, as as my dear friend Hermes would say, she's been in this swimsuit since 1992. Can we please get this girl out of a swimsuit? Um, and it's just like... a. a, a really frustrating that you have like a strong female character but the first thing that so many bros think about is man she's hot man she's hot and and it's just frustrating that she hasn't had a character update especially when you bring in the context of the convoluted and complicated history of Psylocke and the whole body snatchers of it all um for just a quick uh, the very oversimplified uh, history is in the late 80s in Uncanny X-Men, Betsy Braddock and Kanon switched places. Her, the mentality, like the minds and the bodies switched. So Betsy Braddock, a white woman from England, has been living in Kanon's, a Japanese woman's body for 25 plus years just up until a couple of years ago with the retcon of, of or, or not the retcon but like uh, uh, I think it's called Madness and Madripoor or something to that effect but a white woman has been living in a Japanese woman's body to the point where probably one of the most prominent female Asian characters uh, you know at Marvel was actually a white woman in, a, in an Asian woman's body and, and just the unfortunateness of all of that and that now that Kanon is back in her own body has her own identity she's been kicking ass in Hellions one of the best books that you could possibly read and she's still stuck in that swimsuit so can we please she finally has her own body back can we get a suit that would distinctly stand out that Betsy wasn't wearing for 25 years. She's got her body back. Can we please get her further identity and uh, further agency and a different costume, please? So if you want to go off this like sexy ninja vibe, I'm all for that. I love Electra as well, but like we got we got to change it up. How would you change it up? What are your thoughts on that? Um, a lot of people have been clamoring for the revanche look, which I, I, I'm a huge fan of. That would be super cool. Something hooded. I like the idea of like the mask over um, something like silk. You know how silk has that kind of like COVID safe mask? Um, yes. So I, I love the idea of that, like that half mask and then even a hood. Just go full ninja. I mean, like how awesome would that be? Yeah, that sounds actually really cool. All right. Um, spoiler alert. Uh, I'm sticking with X-Men with all my picks and you're sticking with DC for all your picks. So we're nothing if not consistent. What is next up for you, Dave? Uh, this one's hard, man. Um, and, and I've had, um, how can I put this nicely? Many a Twitter row with people about this particular character. But, you know, even after all discussions I've had with people, um, I still, I'm sticking to my guns. I, I think uh, the current 
well, the current, the last few years worth of costumes for this character have not done her any favors. Um, and, and that is Harley Quinn. I think Harley Quinn has become one of the single most over-sexualized characters at DC Comics. I find it extremely, um, I don't know, weird, I guess, because I was introduced to the character when I was but a wee lad with the Batman animated series. I think the Jester outfit stands as probably one of the single most iconic designs. And the fact that she originated on the animated series and they were able to create such an iconic character uh, with such an iconic look, basically just like out of the gate, like, boom, here's a new character, deal with it, is so, so cool. And not a single outfit that I have seen on her, starting with even like the, the Arkham games, have ever worked or rang as true as the jester outfit and i've seen them go so many different ways you know you know, got the the booty shorts thing going on you've got almost a roller derby look at one point there's a corset look there's harley quinn sexy nurse in in in, in the arkham games um most recently, there's been a bit of a redesign in the current Harley Quinn book that rings a little truer to the character, I think. Um, but w- when it comes right down to it, no matter what they do with the character, it seems like the jester suit continues to be this absolutely iconic look. And it's quite incomprehensible to me why they would abandon such an iconic look simply for an opportunity to show more skin. Now, I can understand that it's arguable that, you know, the headpiece on the Jester outfit may be a little unwieldy and covering up her face, you know, the whole time may not be great. There are things you can do with that where you maybe keep sort of the Jester suit from the neck down and maybe redesign, you know, what she does with the, with her face and hair a little bit. If you want to, like, have the, the, the Harley Quinn waving hair in the wind kind of moment, I think there are things you can do with that, certainly. But I think the suit itself, the Jester suit, you know, it continues to be absolutely unequivocally iconic. And I think it just needs to come back, Chris. Do you think now this is a character uh, I've detailed before my complicated history with. Do you think that the Jester suit would fit the the character story and her direction at this point? I totally do. Uh, you know, they do this you whole know, post, thing. You know, in... post Joker and all that. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing, though. I think there's an argument happening here that I find extremely strange. So here is the argument that is happening around Harley Quinn. It's the idea that her jester suit represents her time with the Joker. It's something that was sort of hoisted upon her by the Joker. And as such, separating from the Joker means also separating from the suit. There is just one problem with that. Her origin story, as detailed in the Batman animated series and the Mad Love comic book adaptation, is quite simple. She falls in love with the Joker while he is incarcerated in Arkham Asylum and she is treating him. She makes the decision that she wants to break him out. She puts the jester suit together for herself and then dressed up as Harley Quinn breaks out the Joker. So to say that... Um, her new outfit is about her own agency and her making her own decisions. Well, I hate to say it, but she also made the decision to be in a relationship with the Joker. She made the decision to wear that outfit. It's that mistake is as much about her agency as, you know, now I'm going to wear less clothes because I'm single 
it seems it seems just odd an odd bit of erase erasure is happening that they're trying to erase the fact that the jester suit was harley's own idea and her own choice I'm, i don't mean to misconstrue it like 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 uh like she didn't have agency in making that I, i'm saying like an emancipation you know like a, you're in a different stage in your life like do you think that could play an effect in into like a new outfit or whatever Oh, I, I certainly think that the iconic jester suit could go again, go through some tweaks and stuff to to reflect that. But I don't think um, reaching a new stage in your life or emancipating yourself necessarily means now I have to let it all hang out, quote unquote. You know, now now I have to show as much skin as possible. I don't think those two things necessarily go hand in hand. All right, Chris, that brings us to your final X Men related pick. What have you got? Okay, so not a real like fancy schmancy like situation like we were with uh you know um the oversexualization of female characters here but this one um it's just not really been updated since the character's introduction um so i'm 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 tr- i'm i'm hoping for jubilee to get a new look most fans know jubilee thanks to the x-men the animated series as being a sort of a a, a point of view type character uh, you know, a stand-in for the audience, if you will, um, was introduced in the comics in the 80s, rose to real prominence in the 90s with the animated series and the Generation X, uh, a book that's near and dear to my heart. Um, but that, but Homegirl has been in that raincoat forever. It's not raining anymore, sweetheart. Let's get her a new look. She is still rocking that raincoat. Um, so Jubilee is a fantastic character. Kind of has been relegated to a side character. Um, I know our pals at X of Words detailed that in a recent episode. She hasn't really featured heavily outside of being a mom and a supporting character. So let's let's manifest her getting a new costume and and being brought back to the forefront. You know, with a lot of transparency and openness about you know featuring Asian characters. Uh, let's put our girl at the forefront and give her a new look. Do you have any suggestions for an artist that might like try to redesign her? Um, I don't know. I would like, I would prefer like a, an Asian woman to make that redesign and let just let them let them have their say. I know that she still, even at this stage in her life, is still kind of like that spunky type of character. So maybe still kind of keep that essence. But um, my biggest thing is the raincoat. Yeah, so uh, to me, obviously, that look of Jubilees is pretty much iconic. That's the, how I was introduced to her. But I can say that it is probably very 90s in a lot of ways, and it could definitely stand some updating. All right, Dave, uh, what is your final pick for fixing a costume? Back to the Superman family, which is obviously one of my favorite families of characters. And I think we're going to have to have a discussion about Supergirl. Um and it's very much in line with kind of what you said about, you know, Jean Grey, Marvel Girl, and the green dress. I think for a character who flies, um, it, may, it may not be advisable to uh, fly around in a skirt. I, I, I think that kind of seems obvious, um, and in a lot of ways it really should be. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, live-action adaptations have begun leading the way. The Supergirl uh, television series... Uh, famously has put Supergirl now in in pants, an actual suit that mirrors more something that Superman would wear. 
Um, the upcoming appearance by Supergirl in the Flash movie also features a Supergirl that does not wear a skirt. I am quite unclear why we can't do a a redesign of Supergirl that uh, gets away from this whole flying around the air in a skirt thing that uh, they've been doing. In fact, um, I think there have been some really cool redesigns of the character uh, in the last couple of years. I know they did the whole um, future state thing where we saw a grown-up uh, Kara Zorel, and she had this really, really cool look where it's like a, um, a sort of like a, a cape slash skirt that she was wearing. It's probably one of the most unique Supergirl redesigns I've seen, and I kind of love it for it. Um, and doing something like that as her permanent outfit uh, could be just as iconic as the suit she's been wearing in the past and would kind of get rid of a just a troublesome thing, which is who in their right mind flies around in the air in a skirt. It just like doesn't seem like a smart move. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, it just doesn't seem really feasible. And and both when you combine that and and Gene, it seems like just really dated ideas of what women should be wearing. And and so it just it just seems like it's it's really far past time for an update. Yeah, absolutely. And again, much like, you know, Power Girl, much like Harley Quinn, these are really, really cool characters. But every once in a while it feels like uh the whole, oh they're hot uh, kind of overshadows what really cool characters there are, you know, and I just I hate to see that. All right, Chris, that brings us to the untouchable. Which character should never under any circumstances find their costume redesigned? Who did you pick? I picked my OG, my favorite character in all of comics, Nightcrawler. So um, Kurt Wagner, I, the, the simplicity uh the contrast of the the black and the red against his blue skin i i just love it uh the the white um gloves and boots i i just love like the elemental primary nature of it uh it, it i mean for so many reasons uh they haven't fi- they haven't changed it up too much over the years uh it's it's had some flair with you know, currently with the uh, onslaught revelations, with like this big trench coat-looking thing, it's okay. I will say the beard should stay forever, but bearded Kurt with uh, the traditional outfit is untouchable. Don't don't leave it alone, please. And they've done that thankfully for the most part, and and I'm glad to say uh, that I, that I, I want it to be that way as well. And I can't blame you. I really do think that Nightcrawler's look is is definitely iconic and something that probably shouldn't be uh, messed with. Uh, I like Nightcrawler. I may not be the super fan that you are, but I am very fond of the character. And I do think he has an incredibly distinctive look in the comics that, uh, yeah, I, I don't think should be mucked about with too much. Okay, well, this is par for the course because who's your untouchable? Surprise, surprise. Superman. Dude, leave Superman alone. I don't need no electric Superman. I don't need no black suit Superman. You know what? I'm going to be completely honest. Although I have seen it done well, I also don't think we have to redesign the suit to get rid of the legendary trunks. Uh, Yeah, it's not undies on the outside, internet. 
get your facts right. This is obviously trunks, like, you know, wrestling trunks, like the trunks of a strong man in the circus back around the time when Superman was first created. That is what this is an homage to. And to this day, there's nothing wrong with it. Because as soon as you take the trunks away, you have this massive just wall of blue without anything to break it up. And so, yeah, even the trunks need to stay in my book. I think the Superman suit to this day completely and utterly holds up. And most attempts to change it, to redesign it, to create alternate outfits, all of those things always are unsuccessful. The Superman suit is the ultimate untouchable. Superman is Superman, and his suit should always stay the same, Chris. Here, here. I've got no no argument with that. I think the the red trunks completely offset it. Uh, it's very it's very bland and blasé to remove them. I think I've I've seen a few illustrations where it's okay, but I think it's just it just it's symmetrical and it makes sense to have the red trunks. Yeah, and you know. <laughs> Not not to harp on uh, my favorite punching bag, uh, Zack Snyder's DC movies, but I think that's one of the problems that we run into with the Superman design that they ultimately went with in, in Man of Steel with Henry Cavill's Superman. I think that it's just too blue. There is really not enough red in there to break up that wall of blue. All right, folks, there you have it. These were the characters that we think need some redesigned costumes as well as our one untouchable. What do you think? Hit us up on social media at NerdByWord on Twitter and Instagram, at ThatNerdChris and at ThatNerdDave on Twitter and Instagram. What do you think? What are the characters that you think need a new costume? And were we right with our takes today? We can't wait to hear from you uh, and we'll have a lively discussion online. But first, after this, our final break, it's time for the return of Nerd Commendations. Our long nerd nightmare is finally at an end, and it's time to once again commend the best in nerddom. Stick around. Ladies and gents, we're back, and it's time for the one, the only, the much-missed... Yes, that's right. Nerd commendations are finally back after our long nerd nightmare of the month of October. And I cannot wait to hear what Chris is nerd commending. What you got, my man? I got another Dave that loves comic books. Um, Ooh, I am there's a lot of us. Recommending, <laughs> I am nerd commending Comic Book Herald, uh, a website that is one of my go-tos when I'm starting a new comic book run. Um, you can also find uh, Dave at at Comic Book Herald on Twitter. Um, he does also a Marvel podcast called My Marvelous Year. That's fantastic. But the website in particular, the blog, is my go-to. Um, it's complete with reading orders, beginner guides. If you're just getting started into comics and you don't know what to do, you're overwhelmed. It's got Mar uh, like current reading uh, guides, beginner guides for this year in DC and Marvel, the best of lits tablets for reading comics guys for digital readers it's got reviews um 
got their own podcasts, stuff like that. Like, I, I really cannot say enough about this. Um, you know, when I had my big read throughs of Jonathan Hickman's Marvel run, when I had my big read through of Jason Aaron's Thor, the reading orders on comic book Herald's website were invaluable to me. Um, even goes into explicit detail, not just read this, read this, read this. It provides context of like, you can skip this part if you want to. Um, here's a basic overview of what will happen. Um, so comic book Herald, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's a great resource, um, a great follow on Twitter as well. So comicbookherald.com uh, and at comic book Herald on Twitter is my nerd commendation for this week. And here, here, I want to wholeheartedly echo that nerd commendation. I have used comic book Herald several times as well in order to try to figure out some reading orders. Um, I, I remember trying to figure out, you know, the, a good reading order for uh, Kamala Khan's uh, Miss Marvel character when I really started getting into that character. Um, also some reading orders on some Spider-Man eras that I was trying to get a little bit more into that I may have missed. And I have to say it is incredibly comprehensive. Uh, there's a lot of really good information there. It is so good. I mean, as you said, all the context they provide is so impressive. So Comic Book Herald is, I totally agree, a first-rate website and totally deserving of a nerd commendation. Okay, Dave. So apparently Nerd Nightmare just wasn't enough for you a whole month. Dude, I'm telling you, Shocktober continues for 12 months of the year for me. If I get a chance to get into some horror, I am there. So what have I got? Today, I've got uh, the first movie in a Netflix trilogy of scary movies based on the works of R.L. Stein. Uh, but, but hear me out. This isn't definitely not aimed at young adults. So the Fear Street trilogy uh, is absolutely fascinating. I have watched the first movie and I've begun the second. I kind of have to watch things in increments these days because, you know, uh, having a small one in the house means I don't always have time to sit down and watch entire movies. But the first one, Fear Street Part 1, 1994, uh, is an absolute rip-roaring tribute to the slasher genre and i absolutely adore this movie uh completely from start to finish so what's going on uh obviously the movie as you can tell by the name takes place in 1994 and here we have uh, a group of characters that begin getting uh sort of stalked by uh, a slasher killer. Only it turns out that additional slasher killers from the town's past begin to pop up. And as, as the plot progresses, you realize that this is much more than just a singular killer. This is a curse that was placed upon the town by a witch. And all of these killers that are, are you know, in, from the history of the town are coming back and stalking this group that is trying to desperately survive. Uh, the movie is incredibly well written. It's very clever. Uh, there's some really, really rip roaring, funny lines in there. At the same time, the scares are really good. The special effects are really good. The tone, I think, is just so pitch perfect in that it is tongue in cheek when it needs to be and absolutely tries to turn up the terror when it gets an opportunity. Uh, there is so much fun to be had in uh, Fear Street 1994 that I just cannot wait to sit down and watch part two 
1978, and Part 3, 1666. Part 2 in particular, 1978, I've seen the trailer, and it looks very much in the vein of a, of a sort of a tribute to the style of slasher movies like Friday the 13th. Um, and I'm really interested to see what they do with it after just having a fantastic first movie in the series, Chris. So I highly recommend Fear Street Part 1, 1994. You can stream it on Netflix. Uh, I, I don't think if you like scary movies that you'll regret this one. Yeah, I'm telling you what, Dave. Uh Netflix was getting pricey there for a while. I mean, it still is. So I was considering my options, but then they crank out content like this that that really remind me why I'm still an avid viewer of Netflix. I mean, combined with this, which was almost my nerd combination, was my nerd combination. Then I deleted it because I couldn't quite pinpoint if it was quote unquote nerdy or not but the harder they fall good god go watch that movie just go freaking watch it i don't know if it's nerdy or not but i love westerns and that cast holy lord but yeah netflix is really knocking it out of the park and you know with they, they really need to with everybody else getting involved in the streaming game you know despite the the running start that they've had for years they are still knocking it out with this original content man and it's so nice to see, uh, you know, somebody who's in the streaming setup actually doing something as far as like creating good, you know, horror content, which is so, so very hard to find. I mean, people crank out horror movies because they think they're easy to make and you can make them cheaply, but they always end up kind of falling flat with their quality. But I was really, really surprised and, and very, very pleased with how good Fear Street 94 was. So uh, if Netflix can keep making scary movies of, of this caliber, uh, then they're going to stick around in, in my wallet, at least for quite a while, because I'm always looking for that next good scary movie. Yeah, and FOMO and peer pressure got the best of me in the 90s, and I did read quite a few Goosebumps books, so maybe I'll have to check these out too. I think you'll be pleased. This one is you know, just tongue-in-cheek enough to be really fun. All right, folks, that's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. We really hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. Um, go ahead and you know find us on your favorite podcasting platform. Give us that that rating, that five-star review, subscribe so you never miss an episode. We are available wherever podcasts can be found, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, TuneIn Radio. Uh, we're everywhere, including our very own fancy website, nerdbyword.com. We're also kicking up some shenanigans on social media, so be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at nerdbyword and individually at that nerd Dave and that nerd Chris respectively as well. And as always, stay well, stay tuned, and stay nerdy. Ooh, fancy. You have changed it. I don't know why I switched that. I don't know. I kind of like it. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Thank you.